So the, the main point, the, 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 the thrust of this, Jonathan, Jonathan Rhodes, that is, the thrust of what you're saying is that we think Nazis are bad. Yes. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the official podcast stance that we have is that Nazis are negative. Mm, I agree. Oh, oh, Roisin, I thought you were going to come in there with your famously, you know, pro-right views and sort of like debate. I thought we were about to get a back and forth going. Yeah, no, I have, I have no pro-Nazi views to give you today, Johnny. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe well, tomorrow I'll know. finish reading, like, Trigger Warning or something. And I'll be like, actually, uh, was that the bell curve? Once I've finished reading, once I've finished uh, borrowing the bell curve from uh, Thingy. Yeah. Uh, the guy, who's the guy? No, the guy who's in, he's in the cabinet. Steve Everyone hate Gove, Michael Gove. Yeah. Yeah, did you guys not see there was a whole big Rammy because uh, Sarah Vine posted a picture of their bookshelf and he had like the bell curve and loads of like, like the most, the most left wing he had was like a Tony Blair autobiography and the most right wing was like proper fascist propaganda. Yeah, he had Mein Kampf. Yeah, he might have done. I mean, I, to be fair, I could understand why someone would have Mein Kampf for non, like, non-evil reasons. Like, yeah, you're like... For academic reasons, like I've got Mao's little red book. I don't have it because I'm a Maoist, but at the same time, yeah. yeah but at the same time, it's like, hmm, do you really want? Yeah, that I think I think the bell curve is a bit more of a red flag. Books. A red flag with a swastika in the center. Books. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Books kind of matter in in context. Like I've got a book over there called How to Manage Your Slaves, which is fine if it's just like you know it's a it's a funny book about the, you know the Roman Republic and how they used to do their slaves back then. But if it was together with like yeah the bell curve, it would be kind of suggesting hmm what's he on about here? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sensing yeah. a long term plan that doesn't end well. <laughs> like All I don't right. want to know the answer to the question where do you see yourself in five years because I imagine it's in front of a large screaming crowd. <laughs> I'm Fraser Medford-Corn. I'm Roisin Caird. And I'm Johnny Rhodes. And welcome to True Scotsman, the history and current affairs podcast where we delve into a variety of topics and dispel your illusions. We have fun making them and hope you have fun listening to them. behind me. I don't know why. Massive flags. <laughs> oh. Right, there's definitely a cold open in there somewhere. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That was great. That was great. Oh. Um, uh, I was just going to ask, is, uh, my, is my audio okay? Because I'm using my phone rather than my laptop. Yeah, it's fine. It's absolutely great, in fact. It's, you sound clearer than ever. I, is I, my audio okay? Because I'm using a cup on a string rather than electronics. Oh no, yours is terrible. You should just stop talking. Oh, <laughs> many people have tried, Fraser. Many people have tried, but I got out of Guantanamo Bay, and I'm not going back. The food was mediocre at best. It's capitalism gone mad. That's what it is. Yeah. Speaking mm. of which. <laughs> Speaking. Oh, that was a good seek, Fraser. I was impressed by that. Mm. Yeah, you snuck it in there. <laughs> Subtle. 
seamless. What, was that? Did I do something clever? Yeah, you yeah. We're talking Adam Smith, and you were like, "Oh, it's capitalism gone mad." Can we call it the Adam Smith deep dive? Can that be the Can that be the name of this episode? Sexy, I like it. Let's Let's take a look. The Adam Smith deep dive, take one. Let's get <laughs> deep into Adam Smith. So. I forget. Who did we agree to host this? Because I've written a bunch of stuff about old Smithy Boy, but if someone else has done it as well, you know... No, it's you. It's you. It's absolutely you. Oh, thank goodness. We asked you to perform to provide us notes on the founder of Mormonism, Johnny. (laughs) Well, actually, that's a debate we could have. Who is the founder of Mormonism? Because obviously it's Joseph Smith. But then you've got Brigham Young, who really lays out the early structures of what Mormonism would become. Okay, great. So you're going to tell us about Mormonism, yeah? Yeah, why not? You know, I got, this is not a joke, I got a flyer advertising Scientology today. So if we're going with American religious movements, fuck it. It's clearly what God wants. Or Zenu. (laughs) I think we should get on to Adam Smith. Yes, time is valuable. So, Adam Smith was born in Kirkcaldy in Fife, or as everyone knows it, the Jewel of Fife. That's right, St. Andrews, you're getting right out of here, right at the start. My mum's from there, there, actually. She, your mum's from near Kirkcaldy or near St. Andrews? Near Kirkcaldy. Uh, it's Glenrothes. Yeah. So it's, you know, old mining town, very, very labour, also very depressing, a lot of... Uh, it's a new town, so it was kind of... Nah, it seems to miss out on all the retail opportunities because, you know, Kirkcaldy was where the inventor of capitalism was. So, of course, if you're going to have a shop, you're going to want it there. Yeah, sometimes that warm, trickling down sensation is not money. But anyway, so Kirkcaldy is Adam Smith's hometown. And it's his hometown with such deep, abiding pride in him that they named the theatre after him. Even though, as far as I can tell... Adam Smith has very little to do with drama or the theatre. Yeah. It's just, it was just like, you know, oh, we need a name for the theatre. Who are the famous people? Well, Gordon Brown was the MP. Let's go with Adam Smith. Yay, Adam Smith. So (laughs) Adam Smith, you know, he, uh, so he was from Kirkcaldy, but he spent most of his life kind of jumping between Edinburgh and Glasgow. He was surprisingly well-travelled for someone of the time. Though I say that, that's more to do with um, the fact that we as modern people just kind of assume that everyone back then stayed in their own home village and never went anywhere else. Um, But no, they did. They did. They'd go down to the shops occasionally um, with what little money they had. One interesting fact from Smith's childhood that I say fact in quotation marks there, it's kind of like, you know, a Twitter fact, is he was apparently abducted by Romani gypsies when he was three years old. The reason why I kind of, you know, error on the side of caution is we need to remember a lot of people writing about, you know, people back then in the 1800s and 1900s were slightly racist. And I know that's going to be the most shocking factor here today. So, you know, let's take Well, yeah. Johnny, so here's something interesting. There was a kind of tradition in Fife of these guys who basically lived in the forest and were itinerant farmers. Uh, the Widstinks, I've heard them referred to as. So, yeah, I suppose it probably wasn't like a Romani gypsy. It probably was probably most likely a Widtink because I don't know how what the population of Romani gypsies was at the time, you know? Yeah. Well, apparently he was rescued. Um, they say he was something like abducted around age three and like, rescued a fair bit of time later on. 
Hmm. But yeah, whatever the reason, you know, whether or not it was Romanian gypsies, people who travel and are unfairly criticised by society, uh, may or may not have abducted one of the most influential Scottish philosophers ever. And if he had stayed with them, who knows what the world would look like. Instead, he went on to study Latin, mathematics, history and writing. Notice economics is not in there. Why? Because he invented it. Mic drop. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, he had economic philosophy, but they, they didn't have economics as an actual quote-unquote science. Yeah, it was, it, it, it's a really interesting time in terms of like what you study. Like, you know, back then they would call what we would now call, you know, philosophy, things like natural science. Speaking of which, Smith went to the University of Glasgow uh, because he has common sense. And um, I'm a proud Edinburgh graduate. And he went at the ripe old age of 14. Wow, that's pretty old for the time. Uh, yeah, like, come no, on, Adam, what were you doing? Kept trying to re-escape to go live with the gypsies. Like, I want to be free. I want to live a life of wonder and adventure. It's like, no, come on, you're nine years old. When are you going to pick a path in life, boy? Yeah. You're going to die when you're 30. You're nearly at middle age. Yeah, the 11 plus exam, I'm pretty sure, was for your pension. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's how they could tell what you qualified for in the band. And so he's a great economist, he's a great thinker of maths and money. What do you think he studied at university? Poetry. History? Poetry. Right, both moral philosophy. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah. that was what his first book was about. Yeah, and it's where he kind of developed his passion for things like liberty and reason and free speech. And I, I read that on Wiki and I have to admit, like, when I read that, I was like, how do you develop like a passion for like reason? Like, what, what do you do just whenever someone says something, you're like, prove it. Like, I think it's about a mile to get to the shops. Well, I have such a passion for reason. I need you to prove to me without a shadow of a doubt using logic and reason that it is a mile to the shops. And then people were just like, Adam, fuck off and go home. <laughs> It's actually, it's actually pretty impressive, Johnny, because I thought people developed a passion for reason by going on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> and listening to some of that Ben Shapiro bars, because, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah, well, it's, I figured that that's the way that people back then used to do it as well. But are you telling me YouTube didn't exist at that point? No, it did exist. It was just in a fairly primitive form. So, you know, uh, you couldn't save things to watch later on a playlist. Uh, you know, if you're uploading a video, it had like a five minute limit. So, you know, it was very early YouTube. Mm. Uh, it was around the time the Chocolate Rain song came out, you know, in the pre, uh, and uh, what was it? The pre Happy Frog era. Mm. Yeah, this, yeah, the kind of grumpy cat era of memes was, was that you still... <laughs> Solid internet history there for everyone. Don't double check that because the internet is full of lies and this is your only source of truth. So he goes on, he studies at Glasgow and he becomes the sort of badass, kick-ass philosopher we know today, uh, developing some of his key ideas. Now, eventually he ended up as a teacher he was giving lectures at the University of Edinburgh. He met other great philosophers and luminaries of the time. Because I can't stress this enough. People were starting to have free time, but we hadn't invented things to waste the free time we have. So this was just a, a, a time in your life where 
philosophers like Adam Smith and David Hume were just meeting up to talk for hours, waiting on, you know, Netflix being invented. Hmm. Like, you need to remember some of the people he met, it includes Benjamin Franklin, it includes, you know, Voltaire. You know, he really got his, like, shoulders rubbed against the who's who of 1700s philosophy. Yeah, so... Yeah. It- Instead of like you know using t- watching TED talks, he actually got to speak to the guys who would do TED talks of the time. That's right. He met TED. He met TED. Yeah. Oh my God. Ted. He talks. Oh yeah, because TED, TED of TED talks is Scottish, wasn't he? I genuinely don't know what is this. Have you just <laughs> have you just blown my mind, Roisin? No, I'm talking nonsense. All right. For a second, I really thought you were about to say, yes, uh, Theodore Mackenzie of Glasgow is the founder of TED Talks. TED Talks, actually, it started out, it's just this guy, it's literally a guy called Ted, and he had a YouTube channel called TED Talks. And, like, he would give, uh, like, lectures on things, and other people, he'd have, like, guest people, and then it became, you know, the big event that is now. Mm. That's what TED Talks is. I'm making it up, that's not true. (laughs) <laughs> I get Rasheen, I believe you because you're speaking with such authority and I'm just like yeah, oh, that, that sounds like it could be right that's why it's so dangerous yeah <laughs> another title for this podcast speaking with authority <laughs> mm-hmm. like just utter shite but said confidently and therefore true yeah we could do a whole series on it and we'll just have a bunch of people in speaking as authoritatively about as many subjects as possible yeah so Back to old Smithy boy. So Adam was living during one of the times of great change, which is all the time, any time in history. But the particular change that was going on in the sort of mid to late 1700s in places like Scotland and America and England and France was the economy was changing. For years, people had not really had, as I mentioned, free time or free money. It was very much sort of subsistence living for a huge section of the population. Yeah, nice houses and fine art got done, but by a very small proportion of the population, normally with the title His Royal Highness or Her Eminence or Her Flatulence uh, beforehand. Only really the most rich and powerful kings in aristocracy could commission the artists of the Renaissance and the architects uh, to build the beautiful things we know and love today. Basically, for the first time in a long time, maybe some would argue even since the Roman Empire and its collapse due to a meteor hitting the earth, I forget. Um, Maybe for the first time since then, we were beginning to see the emergence of a society who could ask questions like, well, I've got £10 in my pocket, how do I spend it? Because now they're not going, well, I know how I'm going to spend it. I'm going to buy some chicken ashes and rub it into my armpits to cure the plague. Did that work? Yes, but don't tell anyone uh, because I'm going to sell it to Gwyneth Paltrow and she's going to sell it on Goop for $9.99. And I do not want to lose that marketing deal. I mean it, Fraser. If you ruin me, um, there's no telling what I'll do. Well, the secret ingredient is you've got to put up your ass. You don't just rub it on your neck. You've got to... You know, put up the back exit for way up inside. Way yeah. basically up to the neck from the from down below. Yeah. Oh right, right. And you need to be careful about your supplies, because I got some chicken ashes and I found there was turkey ground in there as well. And that completely you know, it cured my plague still, but I got syphilis. So you know, you've got to be careful. 
Anyway, Dream Team. So, uh, the world that Adam Smith was writing in was one of great change and also of great moral and philosophical questions. Like, as I said, now that we have all this money, how do we use it? How do we build a society? Because I think people kind of imagine Adam Smith and they are actually thinking of Ayn Rand, you know, where it's like, <laughs> make money, get rich, fuck bitches. You know, it's like, you know, that, that hard rapper Ayn Rand, mm-hmm. loved her late 90s stuff. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, I think, what people kind of think of. They just think of Adam Smith as this guy who is just all about people making money. But it's not that at all. Adam Smith was really about, now that we have money, how do we ensure that it's spent morally? As we mentioned, he studied moral philosophy. So how do we ensure that society follows morality um, rather than just people hoarding all their money? I mean, guys, could you even imagine the kind of society that would allow, say, one person uh, in charge of a large marketing store, let's call it Smamazon, to acquire so much money, even if he tried, he could never spend it all. That's uh, kind of beyond my comprehension. In this hypothetical world, is there literally billions of people across the world who are dying from wealth-related and poverty-related diseases and, you know, starvation? Well, Roisin, amazingly, in this hypothetical scenario, you could, with all the money that exists in the hands of just a couple of people right now, in this theoretical crazy world, right? Because, of course, we as moral animals would never allow this to happen. So let's just play this thought experiment out. You could cure in about a year homelessness, hunger, and a large amount of preventable disease. But if only we were in such a world and we had to wrestle with such moral quandaries. Luckily, we live in the kingdom of heaven and there is no such world. <laughs> Fife's a kingdom, do you know? So maybe that's the kingdom of heaven right over there. Maybe that- I believe it. Have you been to Fife? They have amazing folk music, lovely people, and yeah, just generally lots of really sound, sound landscape. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And do you know what I think? I think we should do a Fife special. But the unfortunate thing is that anytime you put the word special after any Scottish place name, it sounds like you're talking about a wrestling move or something. Yeah, the a Fife special to me sounds like something you get in a chip shop. I'm not going to lie. That's what I was thinking. Mm. Like you want a Fife special? It's fish and black pudding and no fries. Oh my! Yeah, okay. That's that just sounds great to be honest. I, to me, it sounds like it sounds like deep fried oysters. Have you guys ever heard of a Rocky Mountain oyster? No. It's um, a name for buffalo testicles, like American uh. bison, because obviously you're far away from the sea. But I assume if it has a name, it means people are actually eating those, which just goes to show, you know, there are worse things than haggis. And that is the episode. No, but uh, seriously, um, there's a lot of discussion about what Adam Smith saw as the best way for society to go. I think the worst crime you could ever um, accuse Adam Smith of committing in terms of, you know, raw capitalism would be naivete or an inability to predict the future Mm. because right he saw the problems that capitalism would bring Uh, a big one was specialization because back in the day you would do many different jobs you know we, we know it like if you were a farmer you weren't a crop farmer or an animal farmer chances are you had pigs 
there you'd take out for acorns in the early autumn and you had to have crops and you'd have all sorts of other little things and maybe you'd make cheese on the side and you'd maybe knit sweaters and you'd sell old DVDs out the back of your car at the car boot sale on Sunday. You know, you had a wide range of sources of income because as I've stated, the economy and society up until the 1700s was a survival society. So you wanted to make sure because you don't want to die, that you have your fingers in as many plague-ridden pies as possible. So if you ran a circus, you know, you had to feed the animals, restock the popcorn, get the children's bones out of the crown enclosure to avoid them choking on them. You know, all the usual things. You were busy, is what I'm Wait, John, sorry, to, to stop the clowns from choking or to stop the kids from choking? The clowns choking on the children's bones. Okay, right. Just, just, just to make sure I was following you. Clowns don't chew. It's a really big problem. Um, yeah, you don't want that red nose turning into a blue nose as they slowly suffocate. So, you know, let's let's keep them alive and keep them healthy. But, but that, uh, that is a theatre tradition. That is a theatre saying that you've got right there. You don't want the red nose to turn into a blue nose. Exactly. You know, it's like break a leg or um, don't let the theatre catch fire on your way out. Classic normal saying. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, that was mostly just said to me whenever I'd walk past theatres due to my habit of just setting places of drama on fire. I'm just very anti-live theatre. Anyway, so basically what Adam Smith saw emerging in the economy was specialisation, which is where people would focus on a particular area. And we see that kind of today. You know, if you speak to anyone in a large company, chances are they're not doing the cleaning and running the programs and doing the security on the door and you know repairing the windows when they break in any large company you have a very specialized set of skills problem is is you lose sight of the big picture if you're specializing if you're hyper focused on something it becomes really hard to see what your purpose what your part in it all is i mean you imagine like the rows of gray cubicles and people just pressing buttons like People knew that 300 years ago and were like, yeah, that's kind of sad. And Adam knew people were going to get pretty bummed out by that. You know, casual Fridays would not be invented until the 1850s or Tackle Tuesdays. And so he was thinking, how do we get people happy and have dignity? And who do you think he thought was responsible for that job? Uh, themselves? Mm -hmm. Personal responsibility. That's right. You know, all that pull yourself up by your sock straps. No, he believed it was the job of the bosses. He thought, you know, it's the job of the bosses and the managers and the captains of society who are making all this money from specialization, from having their workers hyper-focused and lose sight of the big picture to restore function, purpose, and dignity. Of course, that didn't really work out. Don't believe me? Go work for JD Sports for a year and you'll see. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say in modern day kind of companies, they tend to expect you to actually, you know, tell the boss what he's doing in a sense. Well, not telling what he's doing, but telling that he's doing a good job, I suppose. So... You're meant to give your boss a sense of purpose. It's like, man, you're, you're just killing it today. You know, I'm, I'm just so happy to be here for another 12 hours as you get paid more. Like just everything about that makes me happy. Wait, go, buddy. Wait, boss. Wait, boss. <laughs> Hashtag, um, what's it, girl boss, the MLM say? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so 
he that's what he thought he thought like how do you solve a problem like capitalism there's something about capitalism uh other 90s movies references and he saw that as being the job of the captains of industry and he saw that as these captains of industry gave people purpose and as societies began to generate more and more wealth there'd be more free money to get out into society and make life better. He didn't see capitalism as just being about getting your bread and butter. He knew that if anyone's gonna survive, you need bread, you need butter, and you need Netflix. You need things that help you feel fulfilled. And he really believed that capitalism would generate the resources we need to. And in a way, can I just say, he was right. The problem is, wasn't, you know, would capitalism generate huge amounts of wealth? I don't think anyone's doubting that. I mean, for goodness sake, it's because of capitalism we've had the free economic capacity to shoot dogs into space. I say this as I'm petting a dog, so I feel very guilty. Don't worry, little one. It's also, it's also because capitalism that we have the free economic potential to run podcasts such as True Scotsman, which also has... Exactly. She also has a Twitter page, by the way. So if you go to True, at True Scotsman Pod, you'll find our Twitter. And it's fun. And it's because of capitalism we have such noble and great sponsors as Bovril. Bovril, the only beef-like juice that can also unclog your toilet, along with unclogging, well, your toilet. Bovril. <laughs> as, Please as, don't buy it. I don't think Johnny knows what it is. It's like a beef-dripping gravy thing. But I don't know why... Yeah, yeah it's like you're drinking a stock cube. What are you talking you need to, I'm a veggie, Fraser. I'm not like, like, uh, pardon me for not having the greatest knowledge of things that, you know, have the word beef in the title. If it was a carrot flavored dripping goo, then, mmm, yeah. Yeah, just a cup of vegetable stock. Mmm, <laughs> <Yeah>. salt. <laughs> so, that would be the only flavor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, so Smith uh, really seemed to believe this. He got into correspondences and fought against, you know, other philosophers who kind of challenged this idea. But he really did believe that by generating these resources, society would be able to cure its ills. And that really didn't work out. But that idea that the generation of money has a social good is still very, very prevalent today. And it's just one of the huge ways he's influenced the world. I mean, other than, you know, giving us terms we still use when discussing modern day economics, uh, other than making many complicated economic theories readable to the layperson at the time, uh, the layperson being the 20 people who could read, um, outside of Scotland, because we had a massively high literacy rate. What, what, what? Fire. We did. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> high five, 1700s Scottish basic literacy. Um, yes, yeah. thanks, John Knox. Yeah. Oh, Knox. Good lad. Good lad. I'm, I've not ever read anything other than that about him, but I'm sure there are no skeletons <laughs> in that closet or under that car park. Anyway, so... Something I like about Adam Smith is other than being a groundbreaking philosopher, economist, a genuinely interesting guy, you know, I, I've read The Wealth of Nations because I got it free in a charity shop. Like I bought some books and they just gave it to me, which, you know, I then demanded to pay for it because, you know, I'm not going to miss the point of the book. Um, basically, uh, he was also a bit of a weirdo which I'm sorry, I like. I like when the people who change the world um, are unconventional. 
Yeah, uh, well, something that I quite like about Adam Smith, actually, is you normally think of people that, you know, they help their friends out, right? And David Hume asked them to get into the philosophy department at the University of Glasgow. And Adam Smith was just sort of like, nah, nah, mate, I'm not doing that. <laughs> nah, bro, you know, we're bros, but we're not bros, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, you're going to have to do it yourself. I've got... I've got, you know, invisible hands to find. <laughs> I mean, they are pretty hard. So before I get into talking, because that was kind of like, I was leaving that open. Uh, I, I, I'm aware this has just basically become my own TED Talk on Adam Smith. Um, yeah, what I really want to do is hear what weird facts you might have heard about Adam Smith so far. So... Uh, I don't know about weird facts. Um, I know that he first wrote a book on uh, moral philosophy. And yeah, it's like you said about naivety. Like he was just like, you know, this, this, I mean, I think it's the thing with capitalism. Uh, I think I was talking to someone about this yesterday when we were talking about Adam Smith and David Hume. And they were like, oh yeah, right. Like the original like kind of white bro capitalist and white bro atheist. And I'm like, well, yes. But at the context of the time, it was kind of all right. Like, I think I, I, I think when so in the 1700s, when someone is, you know, maybe talking about even questioning the existence of God, that's kind of fair enough. Like, that's not necessarily being edgy. Like, and I sort of say with capitalism, I heard that he uh, got lost one night. Like, he used to wonder, I've heard the story about him, like, going for a wander and then ending up, like, five miles outside of Edinburgh and having to ride home in a Shetland pony. I think I've had to do that same thing, to be honest. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's a rite of passage. It's like a, it's like a bar mitzvah. That's what, that's what we do in Edinburgh. You have to wander for a while. Until you find a stable that has Shetland ponies, and then you take a lift back. Mm. Yes. Uh, religion is a really interesting area to talk about with Adam Smith, because no one can agree what religion he was. Like, the most common view is to call him a deist, which is a belief in a non-intervening God. But then there's others who say he was more agnostic. Others say he did believe in a personal God. Others say he was an atheist. One of the big things he did was, you were talking about bro-capitalist, bro-atheist. He did write, um, basically, a defense or a description in a letter to William Stratton about um, how much he admired Hume's courage when he was facing death, even though he wasn't religious. Mm. So he was, you know, he, he was quite a good bro in that regard during these controversial times. Because we forget this, that, you know, just I believe about 10 years or so before um, Adam Smith was born, the last person in Britain was executed for blasphemy in Edinburgh, you know, mm. the place where Adam Smith lived. So to have controversial theological opinions wasn't just a matter of, you know, in my case, getting banned from Starbucks. It was also, um, apparently you can't preach from the tables. Okay, I get it. It was, you know, right up until about Adam Smith's birth, it was literally life and death. But to be honest, during this time, there was loads of philosophers with kind of interesting views on God and religion. So that's not what I find weird about him. What I find really weird about him is all his amazing little quirks. So, like, he really didn't like portraits. He hated people, like, getting an, an image of him. Um, so there's actually very few images of him because he's described as having, you know, a nervous twitch. And I'm not sure how you'd capture that in a portrait, but there you are. Like, it's just blurry. Um, he's described as having bulging eyes, 
um, like a French bulldog, um, you know, a protruding lower lip, all that kind of stuff. And just a, generally a low self-esteem. Like Donnie, you're completely destroying the crush that I have on Adam Smith. What know, the hell? I know. <laughs> But um, listen, I don't think he was ugly. I think he just had a low self-esteem. He was definitely the kind of guy who asked someone else to write his Tinder bio for him. But like, here, here's the thing, Johnny. Some of those descriptions you had, like bulging eyes and a protruding lower lip, that, that my dog's like that. He's got massively <laughs> bulging eyes and a massively protruding lip. He's got an underbite, the poor thing. But people love him because he's just listen, beautiful. Yeah, that's because the dog is Adam Smith, though. Yeah. Con- no, controversial opinion, Adam Smith was half pug. Like, no one <laughs> talks about it enough, but he was actually just like a pug human werewolf looking hybrid. And that's why he rarely sat for portraits. Oh, that sounds adorable. But that is our official position as a podcast. That's probably why he wrote the theory of moral sentiments, because pugs are notoriously moral animals. It's, it's ah. true. They're very good with children. They're very nice and well behaved. Uh, yeah. This podcast brought to you by Pugs. Pugs, the only dogs with the capital are free to sponsor podcasts, apparently. Pugcast. Like broke bitches chihuahuas. Anyway, um, so that's not all. He was known to talk to himself and have invisible friends. Um, He never married, which was quite unusual for the time. Uh, He also would... (laughs) I love this. He would have spells of what were called imaginary illnesses. Like, he would... He was a hypochondriac. Imagine the giraffe from Madagascar, but with a degree in moral philosophy, and you've got Adam Smith. Just like sometimes sitting there with his bulging eyes, like, guys, I think I've got, you know, um, I've got serious dragon pox right now. And everyone just being like, you're full of shit, Adam. Just get back to your book. That also sounds like Chidi from The Good Place, in a sense. Did did Adam Smith have have tummy aches? Um, he did have a tummy ache after drinking the worst cup of tea he ever had. Do you know what the worst cup of tea he ever had was? Nope. Uh, basically, um, he once, because he was apparently quite absent-minded, he apparently once put bread and butter into a teapot, brewed it, <laughs> drank it, and was like, this is the worst cup of tea I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's so adorable. What the hell? I know. He's just this low self-esteem, trying to make people happy, really naive about like other human beings. <laughs> like, of right. course people will give away their money. What's going on? <laughs> like, you know, kind of guy. And it's just, oh, it's it's just yeah, you're right. He's just adorable. One time he apparently walked out of um Kirkodi uh, in his nightgown. He was so like distracted by his own thoughts that he ended up 15 miles outside of town. And it was only when like a church's bells rang that he kind of went, holy shit, I am lost in a time before Uber. I am not going to get back before tea. <laughs> yeah, I think that may have been, it's either similar to the story that I heard or uh, the same thing. Because yeah, in the one that I heard, it was like, yeah, he realized he was X number of miles outside of Edinburgh and it was the middle of the night. And he had to go to a house uh, and they were like, and be like, do you have any horses? And they were like, no, we just have tiny ponies. And he was a tall man. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What was it? Um, Also, he loved to read because, as I said, this was the time before we knew how to waste time properly. So he spent a lot of time reading. Uh, Yeah. For anyone who's thinking we've maybe been a bit light on the topic of Adam Smith since we talked about 
his religious beliefs, a bit about his philosophy, only a little bit about his grand biography. We've spent more time talking about his low self-esteem than anything else and how, you know, he, he just wouldn't be killing it on Bumble like we all thought he would be. Um, Adam Smith is a guy who himself in his writings was kind of praised for writing quite simply and easy to understand. And that's kind of how we're dealing with his life. This podcast is an homage to the writing style of Adam Smith because he was praised for, as we've mentioned, not writing in these super complex technical ways. He wanted people to be able to understand his work. And a lot of that, some believe, was accidental. That it was him just not being smart enough to engage in the technical stuff. But when you hear about him and things like how he had over 1,500 books in his personal library, I mean, that's the amount of books I lie about having read. And I've only read two, and both were the first Harry Potter book. So, you know, for Adam Smith, we have to be... Um, whilst we can obviously not go into the level of detail he deserves otherwise, uh, because we'd be here for hours, uh, we have given an Adam Smithian, I think you just coined a verb there, um, overview of him so far. Wonderful. Yeah. So, where were we exactly then when we left our last recording? Well, that was the state. You were talking about his quirks and some of his foibles. I've got something very pretty fun, actually. And it was uh, David Shum was in like London at the time that Adam Smith's book came out. And he said to him, he brought him the melancholy news that the, the public seemed disposed to applaud your book extremely. It was looked the foolish people with some impatience and the mob of literati are beginning already to be very loud in its praises. And it's amazing. It's just like David Shum, yeah, he was pretty... Uh, it seems like he was jealous almost of the fact that Adam Smith was able to talk to everyone in a very... Yeah, and the fact that he said it, like, he actually said it, you know? Like, you can think it, but David, don't say it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no wonder Adam Smith did his best not to give him a job later on. Yeah. Like, at the university, he's like, oh, can, I get, can you help me get this job at Glasgow? And he's like, nah, mate, you know the type. I, like, David, we agreed. You would take Edinburgh... I take Glasgow. This is our compromise. This town is not big enough for the both of us. I'm now just imagining like David Hume and Adam Smith as like rival gang leaders in a sort of Peaky Blinders-esque 1700s Edinburgh. Well, I think that's the idea behind the statues on the Royal Mile. You know, that's why the, you know, the Adam Smith one is, well, he's looking towards the sea, isn't he? But that's because if, if they was looking at them, then they'd be too much of a... They'd be too keen to start fighting each other when nobody's looking. Cause oh, come on. That's, that's got more to do with the sheer sexual tension, Fraser. Just them longingly staring into each other's eyes over the Royal Mile as flyers during the fringe awkwardly huddle in the shade of their love to avoid the rain. I've got to say, the David Chim statue is quite good looking. A lot more good-looking than the pictures of him have led me to believe he probably was. Well, I mean, that's because Adam Smith is, his statue is, you know, your idealised, you know, image-focused Scottish Enlightenment philosopher. I mean, when are we going to get real, honest, ordinary depictions of the Scottish Enlightenment figures? They've all got six-pack abs, they're all hench, you know, they're all looking like they're page-free. And I, for one, am going to lead the campaign 
I want to see figures, you know, like James Hutton actually looking as they were supposed to. Because I think, you know, modern day philosophers, their whole image of themselves really gets messed up by that. I don't know. I think James Hutton was probably kind of swole, to be honest. He spent his life looking at rocks and picking them up and stuff. So he's probably quite, quite hench, you know, quite built. I mean, I don't know if they were big rocks. It's still rocks, no, I mean, you know. It's, I mean, uh, I've picked up a rock. Well, yeah. <laughs> kind of built, you know. That's my entire CV. I've picked up a rock. It's been very <laughs> successful. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, that's it. Um, eventually, Adam Smith, like uh, some 1700 Scottish philosophers were known to do, did die, uh, rather shockingly. And he is buried, at least for now, in the Canongate Kirkyard in Edinburgh. But, you know, his work lives on. Um, I think it's fair to say that there is not an economic system that in some way hasn't been influenced by him. He is just an incredibly groundbreakingly important philosopher. And whilst we joke about him having, you know, the eyes of a pug and the ears of a fox or whatever it was, um, <laughs> you know, while we joke about that, he is still, you know, well deserving of his place in a sort of, you know, dream team Mount Rushmore of Scottish Enlightenment figures. Yeah, I mean, so let's just think about that. Who who would that be? So we'd have David Hume, Adam Smith. Uh, we need a couple others. Who's the Who's the Lincoln and who's the Roosevelt? You know, uh, Mary Queen of Scots. And uh, I was no. thinking that, and I think we're both in agreement. Why, Roisin? Because she codified the witchcraft laws. She finally stood up to the witchcraft lobby. <laughs> and I would like to also put a suggestion that we should have James VI for managing to break the curse of the Stuarts and not mm -hmm. dying, you know, in battle and not dying from a knife of his nobles, but dying peacefully in bed of gout and dysentery. He died like any respectable person wants to, surrounded by their friends and loved ones, shitting themselves, groaning about the pain in their foot. <laughs> Do you know what? Apparently, Gabovro can cause gout, actually. So that's, some, that's, that's one of the reasons why it's probably a good thing that we don't drink so much of it on this podcast. Just me. Well, I've had my blood replaced with Bovro, so I'm already doomed. <laughs> Yeah, it's bad for your joints, man. Well, only if you have one of them a day every day for like 90 years or something like that. So wait, are we now causing a schism with Balfro over their damage to the human body? Are we taking a firm moral stance? Are we going back to being sponsored by cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only firm moral stance of this podcast is we don't like Nazis. Every other moral That's choice, right. we're okay on. But the Nazis, no, those, those guys suck, you know? And we are not saying there is a moral equivalence between Bovril and the Nazis. They just happen to be in the same sentence. <laughs> oh my God, we're never going to be able to get that sponsorship deal. When am I, I going to get my lifetime supply of Bovril? Are we going to have to pivot and I'm going to have to start trying to sell theyfit.com condoms? Because I'm quite willing to try and do that. I mean, I think, I, I, I think we can sell whatever we want. Uh, provided that we actually contact them and let them know that we're doing it. I think that's a good first step. I disagree. I kind of want us to sell things first, and then when they see how successful we are at selling things, and then we get in the lucrative sponsorship contracts, no? That's true. Yeah, that's a good well, point. Part, lay it out. Step one, sponsor and talk about Bovril to an amount that is as unhealthy as Bovril. Step two, 
question mark. Step free, capitalism. Invisible hand of the free market, high five. Astro high five. We're all doing invisible hand high fives now because we're not allowed to touch. But <laughs> he invented that. He invented the shoulder bump. That's what Adam Smith is all about. Yep, David Hume and him just shoulder bumping their way for Edinburgh. Most polite society just looked at them like, what are those weirdos doing? It's like, trust us, 200 years time, this will make so much sense. Just bros being bros. And on that deliciously, deliciously decadent note, I think this is really the close of the Adam Smith episode. I think we've done a cracking job. Right, so listeners, thank you for joining us on this epic journey across the world of Scottish philosophy in capitalism. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, give us money. No, uh, just go into Twitter uh, and look up at True Scotsman Pod to find us and get in touch with us. Uh, like us on Spotify, write great, great reviews on us on iTunes uh, podcast because apparently that's the thing people can do and we want to hear good things. Yeah. Uh, my name is, I've been Fraser Medrick Horn. I am currently still Johnny. The J-Dog. Uh, yeah, I'm Roisin. Hi. Hi. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, I mean, bye. <laughs> bye, indeed. Bye, Bovril. Bam, 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 bam. True Scotsman is a Scottish history and culture podcast by Roshan Caird, Fraser Medvedick-Horn and Johnny Rhodes. The music is by Adam Logan. Each Saturday, we release a new episode exploring an aspect of Scottish history that we're interested in and that we want to tell you about. If you enjoyed the show and you'd like to support it, share the podcast around, tell your friends. We're here every week with a new episode for you.